Thank you very much, Anna, for doing this interview. Uh, very much looking forward to hearing you um, sing in the oratorial Glickley to the Somme later on this evening uh, by Anthony Ritchie. Um, so we'll just talk a little bit about um, your experience of that and your, um, your own kind of personal ideas about commemoration. So as part of this series we're doing, the post-war seminar series and various events kind of related to it, we've been thinking about different ways people commemorate, uh, particularly commemorate war and uh, conflict. Um, and people, the way that people remember and reflect upon war. So, aside from your performances in Anthony Ritchie's Gallipoli to the Somme, do you have any personal family connections to commemoration of war? Um, a lot, actually. Um, probably the most prominent one was my father, who passed away last year. He was a very proud navalman, and um, the president of his <laughs> of his area branch for the Navy um, Club, and he would very proudly, every Anzac Day... Um, present the wreath of um, poppies in, in the, at the cenotaph. So um, it was a very important thing in his life. And so I grew up as, as his daughter thinking of it as, as a pivotal day in the calendar. I mean, for him, Anzac Day was more important than Christmas, mm. really. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, a lot of proud um, military tradition. And my mother's um, father was uh, an Air Force pilot in World War II and came home without any injury and my um, mother's grandfather was an injured sol- soldier in World War One, and he came home with shrapnel in his leg and um, Where was he fighting? I actually don't know I need to find that out I have a feeling it was um, Germany mm. and I, I need to know more about that I'll, I'll ask my mum she knows and um, he had great pain for, for most of his life and so he walked with a um, a splint in, in, a, in his boot um, that went down his leg and into his boot and he'd take it off every night and, and smoke a pipe to, to relieve his pain and so he was called Grandpipe. Right. <laughs> Do you think that those experiences all that knowledge of your family informs your understanding of the oratorial or your, or your relationship with the oratorial? Yes and no. Um, I, I mean, growing up in New Zealand, we learned so much we, I mean, the World World War One and World War Two are major parts of the school curriculum, and everybody spends a long time studying it. So um, I've read a lot of novels, and um, and I feel like um, the family part, my family's involvement, is actually the least that I know about it. I feel like I've, the the movies that I've watched and the books that I've read and the history that I've read has been more informative, um, though it's. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say that it's a point of pride that my family have been part of, part of it all because I don't think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's an awful thing to be involved in. Mm. But uh, it, I suppose it's it's wonderful that they all survived. Mm. So the oratorio itself seems like quite a journey that you undergo as a, as a singer, as, as the musicians undergo. It's um, several characters actually. So yes, because they're all yeah. different poems. Yeah. So it moves from the beginning, this departing uh, stage, through to fighting, through to grieving. Yes. So taking on all those different roles and voices, characters, what's it like to undergo that journey? I know you're not seeing the whole time. Mm. Seeing different sort of points. Well, they're very much removed from one another. I feel because mm. you know, obviously, that's chronologically separated. But also, I feel like the characters are very different ages, mm. um, and not necessarily. In the same, um, the same amount of time that's passed, as I, I feel like Ellen um, is perhaps singing about her own sons and as an elderly lady, mm-hmm. 
that's what it feels like because it feels like she's maybe gone slightly mad mm. and she's um the process of gardening and and digging and it's some sort of respite you know some sort of um outlet for her grief mm. and she's kind of digging in the garden isn't she and she's sort of somehow trying to discover her uh, three boys who were killed yeah yeah so then there's presumably some kind of allusion to uh, the landscape of war, the trenches. Perhaps. The trenches, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she probably is thinking of what their lives must have been like in the war before they died. Right, yeah. yeah. Do you think that the, the, the music can somehow put us into a place where we are more engaged with that kind of experience, more engaged with that kind of war experience in some way? I don't think that, in, with respect to Ellen's aria, mm. I think that the accompaniment is more about her state of mind. Okay. I don't think it's trying to represent what the war was like. Mm. I think it's more current in her life. Um, it feels like a bit unhinged, but at the same time, like there's a sort of um, there's a very much a, a, a like a broad stroke of um, grief streaming through it. I mean, there's long long chords held and and high notes sustained you know and that sort of represents a um a state of mind that is ongoing and not um erratic Mm. so i I feel like that's sort of like the heavy blanket of death that is um she'll carry forever the the earlier song um the first aria i sang is about fear and and that is unaccompanied Mm -hmm. and i think that's quite appropriate for that sort of emotion and then um and that's quite free Mm -hmm. and then the next one is i think more what you might be suggesting and that um it's representing a a train station and so you can hear the the drum 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 of the the motors of the of the steam train Mm -hmm. in the background so that's very much um creating you feel like you can you could see the train and and all the people with their um suitcases waiting to get on and people farewelling their families you, you can definitely see the i mean i can paint the picture as i'm standing on stage mm. just from hearing that so is, that's that's really interesting so is that what you do when do you kind of enter into a uh, kind of i suppose an imagined space of you actually entering into like being in the pond the platform right? definitely so it's like the fourth wall yeah, and, and yeah. when you're doing theater studies mm. you learn the the three um the three walls around you the ones that you can see and then the fourth wall is the wall beyond the percentage march and mm. so for me that is like your in the modern terms it would be the screen mm. of um of the image that you're yeah, I definitely create a visual image of the scene that I'm in and often just try to black out the people that are there. And if and, and if people being there is appropriate for the scene too, then you put the people there, but you put them in different clothes and, you know, in Victorian hats or whatever yeah. is required. And so um, they can become part of your scene, but quite often they're not there for me. Um, particularly for Ellen's digging song, I'll just be blanking them out and thinking of myself in the backyard mm. with a gardening hat on and, you know. Because it's very lonely, actually, that moment, isn't it? Very, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, so is the opening, um, the opening solo where she's mm. um, remembering a conversation she had with her f- f- husband before mm. he mm. went away. And it's, very, it's, I mean, the first thing she says is, we were alone in my room. Mm. And everyone sort of goes... <gasps> Like it's <laughs> something you don't talk about, you know. Yeah. It's it suddenly yeah. feels inc- incredibly intimate as soon as you say it. And that's the Helen Thomas one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sort of people go, I don't want to know. 
Yeah, so it's definitely an intimate moment. But that's really interesting because the way that uh, Anthony Ritchie's put the the pieces together, it suggests that he's giving you a kind of complexity of, a kind of psychological understanding of what it must be like to experience sort of different ideas of war from many different perspectives. Yes. Not just it's the battlefield or not just maybe the Wilfred Owen poems that we know. It's actually giving you a a much more kind of nuanced understanding of Mm. that whole period in history, New Zealand, particularly New Zealand history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And pre and post as well. It's not just during. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I recently did a, another war opera called Brass Poppies mm-hmm. um, by Rolf, uh, Ross Harris in New Zealand. And that was that was all during. And so I was a I was a wife who who was at home waiting, and they had lots of scenes with us knitting, and mm-hmm. and I became pregnant with a child who actually is my real child. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> we we sort of sewed it into the into wow. the plot. But um, that was all at what was happening right now. But this one is very much um, more abstract mm-hmm. in that um, because the poems are not all about the same character. Yeah, you're... Um, I mean, even between number three and four, number three is my first entrance, number four is the train station. Mm-hmm. Even those two, are, I feel completely different characters. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that the wife who's grieving already in, in advance for her husband mm-hmm. about to... who's expressing his fear at leaving... It's the same mother who's wishing the train to go fast, you know, to leave the tra- um, train station faster. When you, particularly thinking about the Helen Thomas one, actually, when you inhabit that character, is that how you see it? Do you, I'm just a bit like you're describing with the kind of imagined landscape of the, of the train station. Do you get into that character? Do you, would you go and read work by Helen Thomas? Would you find out about Edward Thomas? Or do you just feel that you're, you're uh, dealing with the words on the page, that you're, the aria that you're actually singing? If I felt like I needed to to know more mm. I would in this instance I feel like I I've made a, a world and mm. I didn't need to fill in, in, in anything mm. and so yes in some circumstances I would do that particularly if it's an opera you mm. need to do lots of that sort of stuff but in this in these poems I've taken it word for, I've taken it as it is mm. on the page and, and done my own interpretation mm. well, How does it change from performance to performance? Do you look at all kind because you've done what you've done one so far. Yes. Yeah. But it was a long time ago. Yeah. So how how do you think that will change? Well, does the environment of where you're actually performing it change? Does uh, the people involved will be almost the same? The people involved in this performance will be almost the same yeah. in both UK performances. However, when we performed it in Dunedin, um, I mean, my personal circumstances were that I was I was. Um, very directly, very immediately dealing with a lot of grief in my life. And so um, uh, I struggled learning this piece, actually, and um, I didn't know if I would even accept it. But um, I managed to get through it. Um, a bit, um, small, you know, a year and a half has passed between then and now, and so I've got a bit more perspective, and, um, and the forces are completely different. We've got the Parliament Choir and the South Bank Symphonia. Um, but... It, it always has the same colour, the same feel, yeah, when you mm. perform the same work. I mean, if it, so it's the same performing a, the same opera in different venues. It's, it's always got the same colour. It doesn't matter if it's set in a different decade or century. It's still, it's the colour of the music. Well, it's been a great pleasure talking to you about it. Thank you so much, and uh, really looking forward to hearing you sing it later. Thanks. Thank you.